0: Welcome to EDI on BIV. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor at Business in Vancouver. And we're broadcasting today from the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil nations. My guest today is the incoming Executive Director of League of Innovators, a very successful accelerator program founded by Hootsuite's Ryan Holmes in 2014. Melissa Allen's background spans technology, finance, and marketing, and she joins me to talk about talent, startups, and all things EDI. Melissa, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Thanks, Steve. Thanks so much for having
1: me, Hayley. Great to be here.
0: (laughs) So tell me a bit more about League of Innovators and how it's maybe different than, say, your traditional or typical accelerator program.
1: I love that question. So League of Innovators, number one, it's uh, a national accelerator program. And what makes it different is, number one, it's focused on young people like the youth of Canada. So there's a lot of programming and it focuses on founders and entrepreneurs who are under 25 years old. And then we do have some advanced programming uh, that we've piloted successfully and will be rolling out fully uh, for entrepreneurs up to 30 years years old. And so that's one thing that differentiates us. Another thing out of three is that League of Innovators is a charity and a not-for-profit, and we don't actually take money or equity from the companies that we're supporting, right? So we want to make it as accessible as possible. So it is completely free. There's no tuition. There's no fees. We don't take a piece of your company, and that way, uh, founders get to keep it for them, for themselves for later rounds. And on that note, uh, another a third thing that makes League of Innovators quite unique is that we don't just focus on tech. If you have a business of any kind, you know whether it's a, a franchise or or you know, or a standalone um, bricks and mortar shop, we are there to support you. So it spans not just technology, but across all verticals and industries.
0: And how common is it, Melissa, that there's this exchange, so you get into an accelerator program, not LOI, but another one, and you have to give up equity. <laughs> is that normally what happens?
1: You know, I would say, and this is just completely anecdotally from what I've observed is that it's about 50, 50, I would say. And, you know, and it's not to knock or say that accelerators are any worse off because I find um, knowing people who've gone through like the big accelerators that take equity, like Antler, Techstars, et cetera, they're fantastic. And, um, but, but I would say it's about 50, 50. And, but I mean, it depends on what the founder is looking for and, so I'm not neither for nor against it.
0: <laughs> it's just a difference and worth exactly. noting, depending on on what you're looking for, as you said. So you're incoming, you're starting your role officially yes. in January, but you mentioned before the call that you have dived right in. Oh yeah.
1: I, I can't wait to get started. <laughs> so I've been working closely with Joanna, the outgoing executive director and the rest of the team, just to get up to speed. I've been sitting in on meetings. I've been sitting in on interviews for our boost program, which is uh, our more advanced accelerator program, which will be starting next year. And so I've been getting to meet a lot of the founders that are incoming.
0: Fantastic. And what are your priorities as ED?
1: My priorities are, quite frankly, just to expand the program. I'm based in Toronto and League of Innovators was founded and has a heavy uh, presence in the West Coast. So I really want to bring this incredible brand and and the programming and make it a lot more known and recognized in Eastern Canada. So that's priority number one. And of course a priority number two is, you know, I'm a woman, a black woman of Jamaican descent born here in Canada. I want to make sure that, that um, historically excluded communities do have access and awareness um, of our League of Innovators programming. And they understand that it's completely free. Now, When you look at when I look at the stats uh, of League of Innovator and the, the demographic makeup of the founders, what's fantastic is that League of Innovators has already done such a great job of reaching out to these communities. You can see it in the stats because the percentage of founders of different backgrounds reflects Canadian society. And I think that's fantastic. So I just really want to drive that home even more so.
0: Yeah. And that's of course, right on theme for this show. (laughs) And I want to ask you, so that's a great example of something you are thinking about and thinking through, but what are some of the other conversations you're having that concern EDI and entrepreneurship or startups more broadly?
1: Haley, where do we start? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I've, I've told this story before and I'm going to, you know, say here again, and, and, and why I got into the venture capital and entrepreneurship and tech space. So my background started in, you know, working in marketing and sales and business development for tech companies like Google, Torstar Digital. Then I went to wealth management. My mother has been a financial advisor for 30 years. Uh, so I joined it too. Why not? And I worked there for five and a half years. And what I realized working there was, you know, there's really three three important factors, in my opinion, of building wealth that can last like generations, and that can create a real legacy. Number one is mindset. You have to have the great mindset. And with my clients, I would actually do extra coaching on that, right? To make sure that they know that they can believe that they can achieve their goals. And there's lots of, we're in like a, we're in a coaching society now. So there's lots of resources out there to help people with that. And the second one is financial literacy. And that's, you know, just learning about the mechanics of investing and money. And again, there's lots of resources out there. But, you know, I spoke a lot at different events, at different seminars. Um, I had no problems. In fact, I loved walking my clients through, you know, what compound interest was, you know, what an RSP is, et cetera. But the third thing that I found quite elusive was pathways to wealth, pathways to a high income and to wealth. And so, you know, when I have a 28 year old who's coming to see me and they live in a big city like Toronto and don't have much of a safety net in terms of family, and they're making, say, 30, 40, 50,000 a year, it's really hard for them to be able to put away money. And that's just the reality of it. And so I found I was often having to have conversations about how are you going to increase your income to achieve all the things that you want to achieve in life? And I realized that there were some blockages in terms of different demographics, different ethnic groups, um, you know, immigrants, refugees, being able to break that income, I guess you could say barrier that they were facing. And, you know, a lot of times it came right down to how welcoming or not welcoming many corporations can be when it comes to developing, um, you know, newcomers and people of color to move up in their organizations. And you know, I I was I am self-employed. When I was a financial advisor, I was self-employed. I own my own book of business. And I saw the magic in that and the magic of being empowered to, you know, make my own income, to determine my own income, and also to hire other people who you need, needed a, a first step, right, to advance their own careers. Mm-hmm. And I that's when I was like, you know, entrepreneurship is the missing piece of the puzzle. And I was like, so how do I? How do I, you know, make an impact in innovation, in tech, and entrepreneurship? But I love finance. I love tech. And I was like, oh, venture capital. Perfect. So while I was a financial advisor, I started, you know, angel investing and investing in venture capital. And the reason why is because when you're working that closely with a CEO or the C-suite of an up-and-coming startup, you get to help them not only just implicitly form their own EDI strategy and culture, but you get to also like influence them and encourage them to really build a culture where it's automatically embedded. And that's why I jumped on this opportunity to (laughs) to join League of Innovators, because I'm like, wow, I could do that at a bigger scale and have that much more of an impact
0: hmm Is that where it starts working with VCs, accelerators, these institutions that are designed to support entrepreneurs? Are they the ones that really need to shift and say, no, we need to attract and support a more diverse pool of people?
1: This is such a good question. And it may be, a, and my answer may be controversial. <laughs> and that is that, okay, there's two approaches, right? There's what I call like the top down approach and the bottom up approach. The top-down approach is there's organizations out there right now who are super active and they're amazing. And their top-down approach means that they go into corporations and help them plan and strategize and mandate EDI policy, right? And so that, you know, from the top-down and already established company But I find that that it's really often hard and difficult and challenging to change corporate culture of a company that's been around for 150 years. It's almost like turning a ship, right? It goes very slowly. But, you know, there's so many incredible incumbents coming in, like new companies, new startups that are experiencing explosive growth. And so where my zone of genius, where I see the opportunity, is focusing on the startups and the growing companies while they're young and while their company culture is being formed, catch them in that moment where you can help them shape their EDI culture to the point where they don't even hopefully need an EDI strategy because it's already so ingrained in them. So that's why for me personally, I like the approach of starting with new companies that will grow up to become the next Hootsuite one day <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, you know, guide them in their and being able to think about how they hire and where to look for talent to make sure that opportunities are equitable across the board.
0: It makes a lot of sense to influence and shape culture when it's still being formed rather sure. than coming up against a very entrenched, sometimes over decades. Culture.
1: Exactly. And I'm speaking from personal experience working for Fortune 500, Fortune 50 companies. I loved working there, but it, again, it was definitely, it would take a lot longer to to have that kind of impact and influence, in my opinion.
0: So what are some of the things you or LOI might teach these young entrepreneurs around how to build a very inclusive culture?
1: You know, I think that's a good question. And we're still working on that right now. But I think it starts with actually having founders who do, have, who do come from, from these cultures, right? So we're working on Indigenous programming right now. We have a, a great program for uh, young Black entrepreneurs that we're doing in partnership with uh, organizations. So I think that's one aspect. Another one too, is that we have our own internal um, you know, EDI playbook and just to be able to coach uh, you know, the different founders on that, I think it's a great opportunity.
0: And I know, depending on the company, as you mentioned, looking at the next Hootsuite, a young founder might create the next anchor company in an area, they also might get acquired. And I'm curious if that's also an opportunity to have a startup with its own culture that was created on the principles of EDI acquired by, say, a Fortune 500, and actually be able to maybe influence from the inside out. (laughs) Or is that just way too... No, 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 no.
1: That's That's such a great point and such a great Like piece of food for thought. And I think that yes, having some fresh um, insight coming into, you know, like an older company, I think it can absolutely have a beneficial, you know, impact on that on that older company, as long as that older company is open to it. But I think so I'm optimistic. Mm -hmm. Like everybody I think wants to have this positive change. It's just so difficult again, when it's so
0: entrenched. Absolutely. Um, When you're looking at some of the young founders who have gone through the LOI program, thinking about those who are going to enter it in the years ahead, what really inspires you and makes you feel like, okay, we're looking at a generation that is open to change and is actually going to not just be open to it, they're going to lead the change that we need to see?
1: my goodness. Well, number one is that I have no worries about the future with Gen Z at the helm. <laughs> <laughs> they are they are so savvy and so aware of the issues. You know, they're they're already having like a head start on understanding the impact of, of having the pronouns of inclusivity. It, it's just in, incredible. So I have no worries about that at all. And in fact, I welcome it. And I feel like I'm learning more from them than they are from me in that aspect. But so I so I will continue to, you know, I guess, help them provide like a framework for it. But we'll definitely be
0: learning from each other. And do you think are you seeing business models change? So not just, you know, businesses that have an EDI component, but that their whole model is actually built on the principles of creating equity, creating inclusivity?
1: Absolutely. Like number one is there's a huge growth in, um, in social enterprise. And in fact, we have a social enterprise stream. I think more companies are acting in that way and, and applying ESG principles. And, you know, I think just by definition of the demographic makeup of how Canada is changing. I mean, currently about 20% of our population is a visible minority, quote unquote, that word. Um, and in another 10 years, so in two, uh, 2031, About 31%, 31 31.4%, I think, percent of the population will be a visible minority. And that absolutely will be reflected in the founders, whether they're new Canadians or first or second generation. That will be reflected in the founders who are coming up just by nature. And I can see it already, right? We have new Canadians, first generation, who are super hungry to make success. And have it on their own terms, and yet contribute and give back to Canadian um, society, right through their companies. So I think even just by nature of how we as a society are evolving, um, I think um, I think it's, it's ingrained
0: hmm. And I be. know, yeah, I'm sure you have a better read on this than I do. I've heard from people over the years that traditionally speaking, it's much harder for, say, female entrepreneurs to get access to venture capital funding. And especially if you are a woman who is also a person of color or in another minority group or marginalized group, it's that much harder. Do you have optimism that that's changing? And if so, what are some of the forces facilitating mm-hmm. that change?
1: Okay, so the question is, do we see some of these like historically excluded groups, women and people of color? um, Do we see them receiving more support and access to funding? And am I optimistic? So the answer is yes, yes, across the board. (laughs) (laughs) I'm more optimistic. And here's why is that it's funny because you I have I've seen like, you know, online publications, other ones um, in Canada, almost criticize the fact that they're all these different funds and accelerators that are focusing on on EDI and on historically excluded populations and founders. But I say the more, the merrier. Not all may make it in terms of, you know, being able to do a first close or being able to actually, you know, move forward with their accelerator programming. But out of that, out of all this innovation and I'm trying... There are going to be some powerful funds and accelerators that will either come that will come out of this. And, you know, and then current accelerators will will be even more enhanced and more enriched by now considering women and people of color. And the result of that is just going to be a lot more programming, a lot more support for women of color, uh, and women, and people of color, um, there will be more support for them, and it, it, will lay, it will level the playing field. And so I posit that, you know, in 10 years, and I've seen different diversity funds in Canada and across the U.S. have this goal that, that yes, we're a diversity fund, or we focus on women now, but our goal is to completely make our current thesis like, uh, redundant. Right. So, you know, in 10 and 20 years from now, and I hope I can look back on this in 10 years and say, we don't need to have an EDI policy. We don't need to have just say, for example, um, a fund that focuses on this type of, you know, this population, this this um, niche of the population, because everybody is getting access to equally. We're looking everywhere for talent and there are no barriers to entry. So I am, I am optimistic just by just by like what some people call like the frothiness in the market. Um, I think that means a lot of the activity and out of that activity are going to be a lot of wins and some great results.
0: I mean, at the core of it, Melissa, we're, we're dealing with some very significant challenges in society. We need new ideas. Absolutely. It just makes sense to foster, you know, and support a, a range of people who have a range of perspectives to give us the ideas we need to move forward at the base of it. That just makes oh. good business sense. Oh,
1: absolutely. And I think I'm trying to remember a stat that came out of the US that said um, in the past 20 years, like racism has cost the US economy. It's been crazy, like $20 trillion. It was something insane. Look up the stat. I know it's, um, it's a Capital One study. And what I like to do with American stats is divided by 10. And that's a Canadian stat now. <laughs> so we're we're losing out. And if we want to stay competitive, like it's, an, it's a business and an economic strategy and decision that's necessary. We want to stay competitive um, on a global scale is that we need to include everybody in our population in innovation, in entrepreneurship.
0: Well said. Uh, Final thoughts, Melissa, anything you're particularly excited about as you transition into this new role?
1: I'm super excited, number one, to join LOI and to really help Foster and grow the spirit of innovation in Canada. I think it's super exciting. It's super exciting to be like on the ground floor of what's coming up in the next ten years. And I'm not sure if you saw, but uh, League of Innovators, like uh, Ryan Holmes and Manny Pata, recently announced their 20 million dollar LOI venture fund to fund entrepreneurs under 30. And I, that is extremely exciting. It's filling a gap in the market that's needed. And I'm really optimistic about the future.
0: It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's Melissa Allen. She's the incoming executive director of League of Innovators. And this has been EDI on BIV. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks so much for joining us. We publish new episodes every Tuesday. You can find them at biv.com slash audio or by subscribing and searching for BIV through your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for joining us.